Oh, man, 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 you gave for good, and we fully appreciate you. Thanks for helping us pull it off here at Forward Radio. It's for you, it's for me, it's for everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Wow, that was clear and crisp. Very nice. Like a bell. Welcome, everyone, to Critical Thinking for Everyone. We are back here behind the mic, and we have some fresh, new, critical thinking stuff to share with you. Yeah, yeah, there's so much stuff, and there's so much... uh, critical thinking out there and we're really happy that you joined us for 58 minutes of fun fun and good thinking and thank you for giving for good if you gave for good louisville yes last week it was just last week was our drive if you listen to the show last week we were doing an on-air drive we actually had a show that was about the six thinking hats yeah and then we did a live show uh during the drive and thank you all we exceeded our goal for forward radio it's amazing yay Yay. thank you everyone who gave and just thank you if you're just a listener and a fan of the show oh i think so and also um you can you can go back and listen to back episodes on SoundCloud of all this business if you would like to. Um, and you'll also find on Facebook a video show of our Thinking Hats show. When's that going to be up, buddy? It's up. It's up. Oh, it's up? It's up. Yay! Certainly by the time they're hearing this. Yay. Well, I'm, by the way, I'm Patty Payette. She is Patty Payette, always holding me to task. I'm Brian Barnes. I am. I'm holding him to task. <laughs> Get that stuff up on the interwebs. Yes, and Brian is always bringing his philosophy background into the mix. Sometimes you make me bring my philosophy background into the mix. Like I, I do. don't, I don't cultivate this as much as maybe um, our show's producers do. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And what do I bring? Uh, you bring a detailed knowledge of critical thinking theory along with a powerful and consistent work ethic. Thank you. And That's lots of nice. critical thinking experience to draw from and life stories to boot. Wow, you didn't mention my sparkling personality. That goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, together we have been doing the show in order to bring our nerdiness to the masses and hope that you enjoy it. Yeah. Learn and enjoy. Massive that, nerdiness. That sh- <laughs> Learn and enjoy. That should be like our tagline. Learn and enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, Not necessarily in that order. Well, you know, I mean, if you like it first and then you learn something, I guess um, that's how a lot of things go. Exactly. <laughs> I think so. Maybe that's, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like when you drink a cup of coffee and then you find out what's in it later. <laughs> That was really good. What was that? What was that? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it sure was good. Yeah. We've got our hot cup of coffee right here and a juicy new topic today. Uh uh What is the topic today? I'm a little confused. You've been been throwing around um, this one personality at me, and I don't know know how we get to this person. Okay. Well, the topic today is how one should live in the world. Oh, sure. Right, which yeah, is okay. our topic a lot of days. Say, that's, that's most days. That's always our topic. Right, that's yeah. always our topic. But it's how we should live in the world according to Benedict de Spinoza. 
Spinoza. Spinoza. You just like saying Spinoza. I think a lot of people like saying Spinoza. Yeah. And by the way, for those of you wondering who this guy is, he was a 17th century philosopher. Yep. And wow, when you look at the dates here of his birth and death, he 1632 to 1677. I don't know. Maybe that was considered a, a, a longish lifespan back then. No. Well, no? I, yeah. Well, it might have been, no? but I mean, people certainly lived to older. I mean, I think that. I think that. Wow, um, died kind of young. Yeah, kind of young. I mean, I'm. I don't know. Does it tell us in here how he died? Is that part of our No, bio? that isn't part of our thing. We could ask the interwebs that. But well, we could. I don't remember that it's anything particularly no. prominent like, um, you know, Socrates or something. But maybe, Yeah, no, you know. no hemlock drinking. Well, okay, while you're looking that up, let me, let me just lay a couple things out that I've learned about him. And then what we're going to talk about today is this really interesting article that I found about how Spinoza tells us across the centuries, right? How he tells us about what it means to live a meaningful life. I just want and to point out that like Spinoza probably, I'm going to I'm going to say definitely. I mean, he was not like a billionaire, um, a captain of industry. He yeah. certainly had a lot of social and political troubles during his life. Yeah. Why are we listening to him about how to live? Well, we're listening to him about because it's some interesting ideas that we want to process together and see what we think of them. But, I mean, why don't we get somebody from like, you know, the New York Times bestseller list? Like, why are we why are we digging back into crusty Spinoza? old Spinoza? Because I'm curious to re- revisit these 17th century ideas to see if they have any relevance for us today. Well, okay, all right. You I know, just, you don't think know he's worthy? Was. I just, oh, I, just, no, I, I was wanna, peaked. What? I don't want to go that far. I mean, really? I think that Spinoza has some value. I just am not yeah. sure what it is for us. Really? Well, when I read about this article about some of his musings, uh-huh. also <laughs> known as his philosophical, the yeah, right, the, his musings. right, right, his musings known as this famous text called Ethics, that's uh-huh. the name of it, yeah. right? I was like, I, was, I have to admit, I was a little blown away by like, the fact that this was written in the 17th century and it points to all the human foibles and how do we overcome some of our natural tendencies toward not being rational creatures. And I thought all these hundreds of years later, and we're still dealing with these same things. Oh, yeah. Well, and other people talk about this, too, for sure, at the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's not right, too, out there. But No, he's he's out there for sure. Yeah, for the time period, he's he's actually way far out there. Is he now? Let me but ask maybe this: not in those areas. Was he considered out there because he was considered a heretic? Yeah. Because, oh, yeah. 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 yeah? Totally heretical. Because he was like, eh, God isn't really like should not be the center of your focus in the world, right? That's what no. he's no. That's no, what that's, that's what, not what he says. That's not what he says. No, God is nature. He's a piece. I mean, oh. he, God is everywhere. God is part of everything. God is not ex- an external thing, except to the extent that. You know, God is in nature everywhere, and we are, um, you know, we have a perception of there being separate. But one of the problems is that for for him, everything is God. When you get down to, like, the basic substance of the universe, everything somehow is a manifestation of God. Um, and that's what everything in nature is and everything that we experience. And that just doesn't go well with, um, you know, the 
Jewish Orthodoxy or any of the other orthodoxies. <laughs> At the 17th that were, century, that were right? Around, uh, yeah. He was, yeah. I'm, in fact, in when I was reading about how out there he was in terms of his religious views, I thought, wow, I'm surprised he didn't get like thrown in prison. I, I mean, maybe he, he did. Run, he had to run a little bit. I'm did not he? sure. But, All but right. he definitely, um, his, his metaphysics are what are so different because he, he doesn't acknowledge a difference between us and the divine for the purposes of like, um, you know, there being two substances, for example, right? Everything is just the one. Hmm. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said metaphysics. You need to yeah. explain that term for all of our oh, listeners. Yeah, so metaphysics is the part of, is the subdiscipline of philosophy that's interested in looking at the fundamental constituents of reality. So when you say that, you know, that something is real, what makes it real? What are the parts what are the parts of whatever that make that a thing that we say has precedence somehow because it possesses existence or it has some characteristics that we can rely on? Like, how you know, what are those parameters? And then, of course, we have epistemology, which is a separate area of philosophy, which then asks us how we know those things, mm. um, among other things. But... Um, but yeah, metaphysics is concerned with the basic building blocks of reality, and, and a lot of that's been taken over by science, I have to say. I mean, a lot of everyday metaphysics eventually became science. Right, and, and ideas like physics right, it's themselves. Just, yeah, right, right. It, it's just that there are some, there are still some um, questions about, uh, you know, the origins of everything and um, what reality actually is that are not answerable completely by science. And so those questions and concerns remain in this mm, area of metaphysics. metaphysics. Okay, that makes sense. So like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about consciousness and we said, uh-huh. um, well, you know, psychologists and brain scientists can study how we think and the processes of the brain, but mm-hmm. really there's questions about human consciousness mm-hmm. and the nature of it mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. limits of it and the yeah. that that we can't fully answer. Yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, so, it, right? It, yeah, and there are all these metaphysic, different metaphysical points of view, right? So, I mean, there's like the, the question that some religious traditions come up with that say, you know, everything that we're experiencing right now is actually in some way an aspect of the divine, right? So, like, we are all Vishnu's dream or something like right. that. Right, right, heard that. Yeah, so that's a, a similar, I mean, it's very different, but it has some uh, metaphysical similarities to something like Spinoza might have said that, you know, everything is really the same thing. It's just we, for various reasons that are maybe beyond our understanding, we, we see things um, as being different and divided when in fact they're actually the same and unified, which mm. is, of course, a, an ancient philosophical problem from the pre-Socratics. So, I mean, this is a, you know. He's, he's, he's in coming, good company. Yeah, he's coming back on this uh, classic metaphysical riff. Well, that's, it's fascinating that you say that because I'm, what interests me about his thinking as it's presented in this article mm. is, again, how it's so relevant to us today 
you know, 400 years later, we're still... I still, still... Don't see which part is relevant to us okay. today. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's well, a lot to me, talk about, but I don't let, know why we're talking about. Let me tell you what yeah. this author says, and you tell me this author's name is um, Daniel... Yeah. Well, Leiwich? Sure. Leiwich? Okay. I love it. And he's from uh, Big Think, which... Are you familiar with Big Think? I am familiar with Big Think. Yeah, they do some, um, they do some good stuff. I mean, it's differently... It's always a little bit past the surface. It's differently yeah. um, A little compelling. bit nerdy. A little, yeah, differently compelling. But um, it's... It, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth looking at. I don't know that they always go as deep as we need to go to get at certain truths that are already there but that's just my well see what critique see what you think of daniel's take okay on spinoza sure okay and let me just say that if anybody wants to have a take on our take you can reach out at critical thinking for everyone on facebook and make a comment um, you can also go to SoundCloud at Forward Radio's channel and pull right. down our Critical Thinking for Everyone playlist and listen to some of that stuff. You can challenge Brian to a duel. You could challenge me to a duel. I would love it if you would challenge me through Facebook. That would probably be the best. But beware. Are you be specific? Are you challenging like a challenge of wits? Are you actually using weapons? It would be nice if you were specific. Yeah. It would help me, it would help me know how to show up. Yes. Yeah. But be warned, Brian is pretty good with weapons. Well, I'm a duelist. So yeah. So I'm happy yeah. to, I'm happy to do this. I mean, you know. The, Which is not the same as a duelist. We should... <laughs> We should have a we should have a philosophical conversation and discuss some of these terms before we start. I I hope we can keep it friendly. Jeez, what did we just agree to on the radio? Well, anyway, let's see if anyone. I want to see if anyone steps up. Oh, uh, that'd be fascinating. We'll put it on a video show. Yeah, that'd yeah, be we'll good. Have, we'll have a duel. Um, also, you might be listening to this finally on 106.5 FM WFMP Forward Radio, Louisville, Kentucky. That is Social Justice Radio out of the Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville. And you can go to forwardradio.org, set up your own show um, if you want. Yeah. And you can give your um, you can give your time, talent, or treasure there, too. We'll take it all. Yeah, we will. We'll take it all. Yeah, we'll bleed you dry. Including challenges to Brian. Not that I'm over-promoting that. I just I thought of it today. I feel like... I just thought of it today. I feel like somebody's giving odds somewhere, and Patty has found this I little book. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well. why don't you listen to the show and see what kind of match Brian is for you, oh listener. Goodness. All right. Okay. So uh, if, you're a, if you're a Jewish mystic from the 17th century, you've already got me beat, especially if you're Northern European. That'd be cool. I just don't know that I can talk to you. That'd be but. cool if you were like a time traveler and you like interacted with Spinoza or you were mm-hmm. Spinoza's neighbor yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, butcher or something like that and you kind of mm-hmm. chatted with him enough that you could come back and forward in time oh, wow, yeah. and challenge Brian. That well, would be cool. That would be cool. I would have to seriously question your priorities or what in the world you might be doing with this time travel ability that you're even engaging with me. But I would be nonetheless honored to uh, to give this That'd a be throw. Cool. Yeah, sure. We'll turn the mic on for that. Reach out, reach out for us. Um, okay, so according... What? Is this thing on? What? Oh, the mic's already on for this. It could be on for that, too. Okay. Roger Mic that. is on. All okay. Right. All right. So the thesis, according to Daniel here, is that some Spinoza wanted us to embrace reality in a way that allows us to become the best person that we want to be. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And he claims that... Um, you know, as we talked about, Spinoza was considered a heretic and 
Um, you know, his atheism, I think, was sort of, uh, you know, a cause for alarm by Atheist, many people pantheist, back something. in the 18th century. Yeah. And that, 17th century. I'm sorry, what did I say? It was 17th century, The 18th right. century people worried about him, too. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. Okay, but definitely in the 17th century yeah. when he was still alive. So his Spinoza's view was that the system of philosophy and theology that he created purely through reasoning faculties, right? Yep, yep. Okay. Yeah, he's could in the make, rationalist tradition. Okay, so, yeah. so rationalist tradition could make humanity more rational, moral, and happy if followed. Sure. So when you say he's in the rationalist tradition, let me see if I get this right. So what you're saying is he was in line with the philosophers who prized our abilities as rational people or thinkers to get us, to take us to higher levels of awareness and thinking I mean, and living? You're, you're partially right. I mean, the, the rationalists are most concerned. Well, so all philosophy is concerned with our thinking. Yeah. So if it's okay. philosophy, it wants... Something to do with our thinking. It would like to say, any philosophy you ask would like to say that it has the best ideas. Like, it, it, is, it is the best thinking. It's... Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of them say that they've got something figured out, like all of the systems. That's why it's a syst- it's a philosophical system because it has some insight um, into into the thinking, and it needs people to align their thinking with it, and it tries to be coercive in various methods. Philosophy most often being coercive through some combination of evidence and logic. I okay. So in other words, what you're saying persuasive is coercive. If way. I my whatever my philosophical bent is, yeah. whatever my approach is, then what I'm going to try to do is get you to agree that this is the way you should be thinking through the way I present well, evidence I mean, and logic. To the extent that I think that my philosophical system should proselytize, oh, okay. which in a lot of cases they will not. Um, oh, okay. And they will not really have any inclination to try to convince others. But to the extent that it comes up as a metaphysical epistemological problem, every philosophical system will be able, through some investigation, to take a stand on certain on, – on, on these issues. Okay. Well, but if philosophers aren't necessarily trying to convince me, why would they be writing all this down because, and sharing it? Well, because we have insights – into what is right. I mean, you can take it or leave it, but what most, I mean, God, I I just want to say all philosophy, I'm so sorry to the gods of philosophy, whatever those are, because I'm sure I'm being heretical myself, but, but I really do feel like in my experience, all of philosophy has this angle on it where it's really trying to say, I'm right, even if the way that I'm right is, you know, to the extreme that we see in Plato's Socrates character, the one thing that I know for sure is that I know nothing. Right. I mean, even if we go to that point, you know, I'm convinced of that right. as a starting point. So that becomes my grounding for my philosophical system wherever I can say that I'm sh- I'm certain about this or that. Right. Right. So that's, I mean, that's all philosophical systems have this point of view where they're using some combination of logic and evidence to convince us if it comes up. Like if it, they would say, my point of view is right. Because if if not, most thinkers who would consider themselves philosophers, if they don't have good reasons for this, they would switch to something else that they do I have got it. I got better it. reasons for. And in some cases, 
I don't really know. So I take that philosophical position, which will just say, well, you you can't know. or Which is right, which is why ultimately, right, the whole point is to... Cynical approaches. (laughs) To remain open to continuing to have these conversations about these questions. Only until... You find the truth. Oh, my God. Well, no, I mean, that's that really is the name of the game for philosophy. Like when certain truths are found, then as we've discussed before, they become part of different kinds, other different kinds of systems. Right. So when we find truths that we can rely upon, a goal is met and that we don't talk about those in philosophy so much anymore. But while there still are questions Uh. about what the metaphysical, epistemological, ethical truths, aesthetic truths, political truths of various value systems are and how they get applied and how they should be applied. As long as that stuff's still up in the air, we keep it in philosophy. And every philosophical school will make claims about this, that, or the other vis-a-vis they've discovered the truth of the matter. Wow. And if folks, if you are hanging on his every word, oh, then you need to go back and be a philosophy major. Oh, yeah. If, if anybody cared about that, you should make sure that you you're doing philosophy. You should be, yes. You don't need you to come back to school. Be, just go read some stuff. Just, yeah, go to the library. <laughs> and re, where should they start? Where should Socrates? They start? It all depends on what you want to do. If you're, if you're, I mean, really, if you if you just want to get into philosophy, frankly, if you just found a philosophy textbook, introduction to philosophy textbook, really? it would have a huge number of different sized readings and a huge number of techniques, philosophically speaking, and a lot of questions for extra thought and a fat bibliography. And so if you liked an excerpt from something that you read, then you could go deeper as opposed to what happens a lot of times in philosophy. And I mean, I've certainly suffered from this myself is you go get a philosophy book and it's a couple hundred pages. I mean, often philosophy is quite a bit more and you're stuck with it. Oh, I And you see. start reading it, and it's like, this is 600 pages. And then you get to 250, and you're like, you're just saying the same thing from different You get angles. to 50 pages, and you're like, I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> like, I, I certainly have been reading philosophy books, and I'm, I'm in the introduction. I'm like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> like, I don't even know what we're doing here. The whole introduction, like, they're talking about something. I'm going, what did I? Was there something else I was supposed to read? Are there missing pages? Yeah, what's happening? <laughs> right? But no, it's very coherent if you just... No more than what I know, oh. right? And so it becomes it, it becomes really hard to read philosophy. And then certainly in a lot of philosophy books, I'm telling you now, friends, if you skip that introduction, in a lot of philosophy books, you're just you're just gonna start it's off at such a disadvantage. Like you're gonna be in the deep end and you'll be flounge splashing around tr- floundering like Yeah, yeah because a lot of these a lot of these philosophers, they're talking about topics that are not contemporary topics like we're not talking about them so they wouldn't be present to our consciousness and then the ways they're talking about them and the examples that they're using are not anything we would think about at all like they're just they're totally out of left field and so you're reading for a while and you're reading for five or six pages and somebody's making this long argument with this example and they finally get to the triumphant point and you go what like you just totally it does nothing to it, right? They just wow. they just it did it did not wow. land because you're going. I see that they're finished, but I don't know what happened. So now you got to go back and read it again. And it, and often the introductions to these explain. books they'll, explain they'll they'll clarify it, right? what you're supposed they'll, to they'll be going unpack into it and be it's sort of like <sighs> it's sort. Of, <laughs> wow, and he read that stuff and still became a philosophy major. Well, so, I have to say, the very first philosophy class I ever took in college, I swore I would never, ever, ever uh, take another philosophy class. It was such a disaster, and it was so wow. tedious, and the guy was such a jerk. Oh, my Lord. And 
the methods were so harsh and and there was so much ridicule. I mean, it was just such a terrible environment. Well, wow. the teacher, he was from like the 18th century. I don't know. Um, the point is that if you want to dabble, find a textbook with different. Find a textbook. Find a textbook and yeah. read and something, see. Something Maybe fun. Spinoza will interest you or not. Now, to go back to our original point before we went down this philosophical rabbit hole, is yeah. there any other kind of <laughs> philosophical discussion that's other than a rabbit hole. So the rab- that's what they're doing in there. Yeah, the rabbits yeah, yeah. are in there. They're philosophers. That's right. Um, is rationalists. Oh, yeah. We were explaining that Spinoza is in the tradition of rationalists. Right. And this is the thing is that, you know, when you say all of them are looking for, ra- or, you know, to use logic, you know, to yeah. use logic and evidence, that's right. all of them. So the rationalists in particular believe that your ability to reach the truth of the matter is going to be dependent upon your ability to transcend the kind of evidence that we find in the world of experience and to use purely logical evidence without experience to get to those truths. How's that even... Well, there are techniques. I mean, Plato did it. Um, You know, Spinoza Spinoza does it. Leibniz does it. Um, plenty of other thinkers are in this rationalist tradition where they're going beyond experience and they're saying, um, I mean, Descartes in this camp as well, they're saying that when I finally get to the truest truths, certainty, right? when I finally get to that, it will not be something that exists in experience. It will be something that I had to reason my way to past experience but using logic always they have a very rigorous and like walks you through yes step-by-step logical that takes you past experience into this other stuff it's just that a lot of people the other camp the empiricists look at that and go oh so you just made all that up is that what you did i see (laughs) so here we stopped with experience and then we just started fantasizing wow look i can stack legos with my mind so this is i mean this is absolutely a problem because a lot of a lot of empiricists that's the other big camp a lot of empiricist thinkers won't accept the rationalist point of view and it took immanuel kant at the end of the enlightenment at the beginning of the 1900s to really link the two camps together and kind of show the best of both worlds, which became a sensation culturally, but then was subsequently rejected as well by more contemporary thinkers. So, so, I mean, it's, 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 some of the stuff can be rejected. I mean, some of it, some of it can't. I mean, some of the everyday, what we call everyday epistemology, like, you know, I perceive this thing as, um, you know, a solid surface kind of business and, you know, what that, what that is with my eyes and my sense sense of touch and my juxtaposition and all that, all of that is pretty well established in terms of experience. It's just when you start trying to reason beyond that, because for example, if we're going to make claims like God is nature and is everywhere and everything is God, right. you can't do that with the world of experience. <laughs> like you just right. literally, exactly. you run out. So, so then you it, have to be a rationalist. Right. So it, then it depends again on your ability to lay out your argument using these this logic right, and because, ways of thinking. Right, because right. It's, it's very easy to slip into something that looks an awful lot like religious thinking. Or right. just sort of speculative thinking in some way, 
when you're trying to do rationalism. Traditionally, it's been grounded in things like like higher mathematics and um, oh and and, and you know deep logical structures and stuff like those are the kinds of things like you know Spinoza uses a lot of linguistics and logic and stuff as he's going through his things to make his points. Very difficult to read for that reason. A lot of mathematical stuff. But the point is that they're trying to establish that certainty is beyond experience, and then we can we can find ways, if we can establish that that is the case and that there are some methods that could get us there, then all we have to do is work those methods for our readers and bring them with us on our intellectual journey, mm. right? And that's that's what the rationalists do to, to wow. varying degrees of success. Yeah. I don't find any of it particularly compelling, I have to say, but a lot of people historically and even today Founded. find rationalism quite, really? uh, quite the stuff. Okay, well... Let's talk. Let's now talk about some of the things that he says that Spinoza claims. Sure. Okay. Sure. Here's the first one that I was like, "Whoa!" Here's okay. the first thing. Okay. Right, right. So what Daniel says is Spinoza communicates the existential realization that much of what our ordinary waking life amounts to is entirely pointless, and that the things most of us desire are futile to strive for after. So you might be thinking, this is me, right? So you may think, well, what what does he mean? What kinds of things do we strive after? And he says, after all, at the end of the day, what really is the point of momentary pleasure-seeking honors or riches other than to satisfy one's vanity? Deep down, these things do not truly matter all that much. And when they inevitably, inevitably vanish, our pleasure does too. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. So what I what really got me about that is this whole idea about waking life amounts to is entirely pointless, and that, and that as according to what, how he represents Spinoza, we spend much of our days and much of our life focused on these things like recognition and earning money and yeah. all you know, enjoying yeah. a nice glass of wine and yeah. and being popular, and he's saying all of these things are flimsy, thin, fleeting, and they don't actually create a meaningful life. Yeah. I mean, sounds like somebody who wasn't popular. <laughs> like, there's no question at all. <laughs> he didn't that. have money and he wasn't popular. So, so what can, you know? Well, and this is the problem, too. I mean, when you start looking at philosophies that make these kinds of claims, there is always a question of, well... I mean, what would life, on the other hand, what would life be if I didn't ever pursue those little pleasures? Like if I, if I don't ever take the moments to enjoy those things and build a personal narrative that is satisfying, I suppose, personally satisfying. I mean, I mean, what, you know, unless my life has greater purpose in some sense that I don't know about, why else would I really be, you know, going through okay, all well, of the things? Okay, well, hold that thought, because he talks yeah, about it. All I right, know he but does. I just, I just, I'm trying to yeah, vocalize the I'm, concern. I'm just intrigued yeah. by this Because somebody out there is going, claim. this is nonsense. So I'm just intrigued by this claim, right? Yeah. Like, if those things aren't important, okay, then the question becomes, well, what is important, all right? All right. So so he says, the first thing he says, though, so let, let, first let's say here's some of his truth bombs, all right, before he gets <laughs> to, okay, so here's yeah. one of his first truth yeah. bombs. Human Baruch beings. Bomb. <laughs> Human beings are not wholly at the wheel in in our decision making <laughs> abilities. Okay. Well, that's because there's. Anyway, go ahead. He says yeah. we. Spinoza says we often consciously act against our best interest. We often see the good but choose the bad anyway. 
So we're kind of sloppy decision makers because we're kind of led around by our feelings. Well, we're, we're constantly in error because of the nature of our construction. We have a very difficult time, I think, identifying truths and we're easily misled. Exactly. That's his point. But that's not a that's not a function. <laughs> I mean, my understanding of Spinoza, and I have to admit, it's been it's been a long time since I took mm-hmm. any of this very and seriously. And maybe you were absent that day. No, I was not absent <laughs> that day. I definitely struggled through this business once upon a time. I but but I but I do think that when Spinoza's Spinoza's saying that he's saying that we are metaphysically constructed such that our decision making will be meaningless. Like it's part of our construction. It's not like I could be an excellent decision maker and see into reality easily. Right. And I just simply am too lazy right. to do so it. Then He's the, not saying that. No, right. And so then the question becomes, what is the point of striving? If we can never get there, yeah. what is the point of striving and trying to be a good person and make good decisions? And yeah. so is it that the journey is the destination? Sure. So so hold your hold sure. this thought. Hold the this thought. Okay. Will give us the answer. All right. So so for instance he, Spinoza, says, think about, or this is him paraphrasing Spinoza, this da- Daniel, how things play out when you act in accordance with whatever your hatred, anxiety, or indiscriminate dopamine systems tell you. We are very often, perhaps primarily in the grip of our passions and act, not because we have thought things through, but because, quote, unquote, we felt like it. So what he's basically saying is we spend Primarily, most of our day, making decisions from these emotional responses and these needs and wants, almost like your id going crazy. Sure. As a because, uh, you know, I felt like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As opposed to things that would that would sort of elevate our life and our thinking. And so sure. he says even the outcomes of our decisions are substandard by our own standards. Mm. So that's. That's part of the rub here is he mm-hmm. says that we kind of know that we are far from making, you know, individuals living a life making like, I know I'm not going through my day making my highest, best decisions. So I know that about myself. That's part of my cross to bear as a human being. So so wh- what he's trying to do is talk about a way of being and acting that takes all of those things into consideration. Okay. Sure. So he says if we can envision a life that we wish we had, in other words, if we said to ourselves, well, I'm going to wake up this morning and I want to be, I want to be, uh, I want to have a respectable life that's fulfilling to me and valuable to others as well. So for him, he says that is the vision. Let me say that again. A life that is respectable and fulfilling to me and valuable to others. That's what... That's what should drive us. Okay. And he says, not only that, that's not just a practical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a what is the meaning of my life kind of at the core thing. Yeah, but. Yeah? What? Yeah, but for Spinoza, the metaphysical structure is such that there really is only one substance, which is God, which is the same as me. So, I mean, any of these decisions that I'm making are a little bit. They're a little bit sort of, you know, 
played out before they even get going because I deterministic all, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, everything is very deterministic in this regard. Hmm. I mean, potentially. Why don't you explain that term for for the listeners and for well, me too? Well, it just means that um, that you know, free will is a certain kind of illusion um, because the purposes and the outcomes of actions would already kind of be. Um, structured ahead of time and already be known okay. in some regard. I'm not sure if Spinoza is a is fully deterministic or not. I have a I have a hunch. I have a recollection. Yes. I don't teach Spinoza ever. Yes. I mean, not for years. I guess I did once, but I have a recollection that he does believe in free will as an expression, but ultimately, metaphysically, it's not. Um, it doesn't actually get us the kind of free choices that we imagine that we're getting. Okay, hold that. That's the deterministic part, I think. Right, hold that thought. So Spinoza believes the primary problem is lack of understanding or what he calls bondage, right? We're (laughs) in this kind of bondage. The bondage problem, well known. Due to a significant ignorance regarding the nature of reality, which I think goes back to what you were saying. Yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we he, don't know that everything is unified in reality. Right. So we so, think that different things matter or valued differently. Right. So yeah. he Spinoza believes that reality is deterministic. That's what you're saying. A yeah. notion that might be corroborated by modern physics and therefore free will <laughs> is an illusion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I got hit by, got you, that I got hit by a wave of nausea. <laughs> oh, Lord. Modern physics and determinism. <laughs> I just... It's if someone were to and God forbid, if someone were to drive off the road right now, you know, for us to just say, well, they didn't have a choice. They had to. It's all cause and effect. It's like dominoes falling. It's just it's just it's so hard to handle. Mm. It's so hard to handle. It's so hard to see the universe as a clock that is wound up. And it's just from the point that it was wound Everything now is just moving mechanistically, right? Because because when you get up in the morning yes. to get your paper, right. if the paper boy didn't throw the paper, you're looking around for your paper and then you run into the burglar at the neighbor's house and you foil the burglary. But then you find out the burglar is actually your long lost friend from high school and you make a new Facebook connection. Never would have happened if you had gone to sleep at a different time and got up at a different time such that the paper had already been thrown and you would have missed the burglar. Yes. All of that is supposed to just unravel mechanistically if it's a deterministic universe. And that means free will is just a total illusion. And I find that. So bananas because you say, oh, well, I, you know, sometimes I just flip over and I just don't get up. Like the alarm goes yeah, off and I say, oh, yeah, I'm just not going to. And, yeah. and, and the determinist will say, that's that because of the thing. Yeah, the thing that, that you ate time. last night. That's why you flipped over. You had three more grams of sugar and turned into <laughs> flonase in your body. Whatever these things do. I don't know what happens. At any rate, I'm not a chemist. But the point is that the deterministic universe definitely – um, just sets free will on fire. Okay. And I think that for all of us, free will is our everyday impression of things. It would be so weird if free will wasn't real. It would be so weird. <laughs> I'm not talking about for one person. I'm talking like for everybody. This, this like goes back to that show we did about are we a simulation, right? Yeah. Are, is our whole world just like this giant video game that these aliens are playing? If it's a deterministic universe, it might as well be. Because it doesn't matter what we do. Well, because we do, whatever right? set the mechanism Society. in motion is 
yeah. you know, had knew how it was going to end. Like, right. like all of that. And whether that's for entertainment or just the structure of things or mm, right. something playing itself out, some bigger mechanism that can't be controlled, whatever, whatever is happening, it's, um, it's just... It just takes away completely the idea. I mean, what it does is it puts us at Camus' Sisyphus. Oh, I, that's where it takes us immediately. Like this, just this endless. Uh, you roll the rock with no. You roll the no rock. Point. You put all your effort into it every day. It rolls right back downhill. Wash and repeat. Wash and repeat until for you die. Until, until you, you die. die. And of course, the reason why I like to go to Camus' Sisyphus as opposed to the actual Greek myth is that for Camus is explicitly addressing, you know, a, a two, three hundred fifty, two hundred fifty years after this guy, um, Camus, yeah, two hundred fifty years after, he's explicitly um, addressing this idea of this mechanistic toil that might be there where whether it's deterministic in this metaphysical sense or socially deterministic or something else he's saying that there is a brief and Mm. totally needed and fulfilling even opportunity for getting value out of this because of our robust mental life and the ways that we can adjust ah. our attitudes even to the worst wow. situations like wow. metaphysical determinism. Wow. Right. Okay. But I mean, but I mean, who wants to go there and work on life? I mean, surely we don't have to go to that hill with a rock. Surely we have a better way of looking at the world. I mean, surely. Well, let's see what Spinoza I says. I mean, Patty. <laughs> let's see what Spinoza who says. Are you? All right. Okay. All right. He says, we are generally convinced that there are calculated and considered reasons for all phenomena. That's that's this deterministic. Wait, let me finish. But okay. But instead, <laughs> Spinoza instructs us to understand that we and everything else are the product of an infinite chain of causes. Here we go. Okay. Here we go with the dominoes. So he says, we are uh. not in the grips of our emotions because we are bad people. Rather, it's simply the result of natural happenstance. Yeah. But more often than not, we fail to realize this and we live our lives believing that we are bad people, which is false. Right. Because when I slapped right? that person because they said something, <laughs> they provoked me. Yeah. It wasn't so me. So it's not your fault. Yeah, it was a domino falling down on their face. Yeah. So he says, according to him, Spinoza said, this is it. This is the issue right here. We need to, as human beings, we need to accept the fact that there are external causes like biology, culture, socioeconomic factors. And those are all things we've talked about on the show. Think about yeah, that. Biology, sure. culture, socioeconomic factors. We have... Uh, we have all talked in the show over the years about how those things influence our thinking yeah. and our lives. Yeah. And he says they're far more powerful than us and which limit our power to act and think in ways we otherwise would but wish to. But that isn't what Spinoza's saying is the no. limiter. He's, I mean, he's not saying that it's those factors. It's the much larger it's a we're all world. a part of God limit. I mean, it, everything's determined because of that, not because of social factors that rise and fall with the generations. I mean, it's it, it's all linked well, to this metaphysical concern. Well, according to him, he says, Spinoza thinks all of this acts, all of these external forces yeah. act in conjunction with our general inability to regulate our emotions, causing us to live second-rate lives. Yeah, we well, are just I mean, that's victims the of our can, own thinking. Well, that's the thing is that for Spinoza, the one thing that we can control, I think, are our internal states. Yeah, so... 
This is what he recommend. This is what he recommends. Here's yeah. his solution. Here's according to this guy. Here's what Spinoza yeah, says. Yeah, is, yeah. So, like, after you hear this, folks, if you're thinking, well, what is the point then? If I'm right. just a victim of my emotions and my right. sociocentric programming, then why am I here? What do right. I do about it? He right. says, okay. He says that you could take steps toward liberation. Okay. Yeah. So the first one he says is is just the truth of reality that our emotions and all this external things manipulate us, right? First, just accept I have biases, I have limits to my thinking. Like, just be aware, right? Don't assume I've got it all figured out. That's your first step. Okay. Second one, second one, ready? Yeah. Self love. He says it's quite simple. It sounds like a lonely guy. Did I mention that before? <laughs> How do we know we 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 he's saying the idea is become is the more that you try to act and think and get away from the idiosyncratic reactions, the idea is that you become more capable of self-love. Well, you know, I mean, we can go all the way back to, you know, certainly like Epictetus and Socrates and others on this, you know, saying again that. You know, the more that we put our lives and our um, problems um, into the world, the more that, um, you know, we're going to get feedback from the world, right? The best, the best way to, to deal with our lives really is to keep as much control over all of the things as possible so that no one else can arbitrarily take those things away from us right so if i don't have if i don't have a job if i don't have you know property if i don't have a lot of things then i can't lose those things if i don't put value in relationships mm-hmm. if i don't put value in my work or things i mean of course i could find positive applications for this i suppose i'm just being cynical right now but <laughs> but at any rate um these are i mean there are there are things that i can um you know, control much better if I keep them close to myself as opposed to allowing them to. What would be an example of that? Well, I just gave a bunch of them. But I mean, certainly every I mean, certainly I might not want to engage in relationship building because the other person or circumstances could cause that to um, to turn against me or to leave me or to go in a way that makes me uncomfortable or whatever. If I want to avoid that discomfort, then I just don't, I just don't engage in those interpersonal activities to the same degree. Well, and that is one of the problems that Spinoza talks about, because guess what? We don't all live on an island by ourselves. No, we we, we are having to interact with other people. Yeah. So he says, okay, so what you can do is you can strive to achieve your own sense of virtue, which is your own way to kind of find your greatest good in the culture around you, like find sure. what you were meant to do, try to strive and like we're never you'll never be free of your petty jealousies and your all your negative emotions, but you can strive to rise above them. And he mm. said, and then you sh- what you should do with other people, you should want for others the good that you have attained through your own understanding. you In other words, the ability to act and think in a way that facilitates the creation of our distinctive ideal. But see, everybody has, that's what his point is, everybody has a different gift or talent. So you want everybody 
to kind of find their place in the world. Right. That's but, it. Right. And what that does is, of course, it allows the nobility to just become comfortable with their place in the world and mm. allows the poor to just become comfortable with yeah, their place in the world. He did, yeah. Did he ever talk about that? Class I, systems? I don't know. Class I systems. don't know. I'm, All right. Well, I that, you know. I'm no, I'm no Spinoza expert. He, he could sit in his little garret on the third floor overlooking the window and, like, writing these things in a vacuum. Right. And not have to worry about things. Well, like I mean, that, I right? do think he was very worried because he did he face social implications and well, stuff. And he was very much iconoclastic in his writing. And he was, you know, excommunicated, for example. That's from his, now that I did know. Right. Yeah, OK, so yeah, from his. Uh, so Jewish but he had religion. his he had his thoughts to keep him warm. He had his thoughts and ideas <laughs> to keep him warm. Right. Well, I mean, it is cold comfort when I know the <laughs> truth, but everyone else exiles me. I mean, that's yeah. That's well, tough. That's yeah, tough. tough. Tough for you, clowns. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Suffer. Suffer with your nonsense. And he ends, I'll be out here. He says Spinoza ends ethics recognizing the difficulty of attaining virtue, right? So we're always... Especially if it's a deterministic universe, <laughs> and I, I can't do anything other than react to the way things hit me. I mean, yeah, it sucks. Right. He says, if the way I have shown to lead to these things now seem very hard still, it can be found. And, of course, what is found so rarely must be hard. For if salvation were at hand and could be found without great effort, how could nearly everyone neglect it? But all things excellent are as difficult as they are rare. Oh, wow, that sounds like a tough life. Well, I mean, that's, but, I mean, that's, that's very that's much a different angle on philosophy, right? Which, really? I mean, is propounded by a lot of these thinkers, which is you have to have intellectual discomfort. You have to have, you know, into, like, like, you're going to have to struggle and the struggle is you know kind of the point like doing that struggle that that makes you um you know more appreciative of you know whatever you come to through the struggle something like that yeah that's the whole thing about the it's a it's the journey not the destination right asking all these questions yeah, does but I just guess. by asking the questions and struggling with them does that make me a better person or, I mean, you know, a I more blind person? It makes me a better thinker. It does? Yeah, it makes me a person who's more capable of doing, of, of putting up with that struggle. I'm not saying it makes me a more logical thinker, but if I will continue to persist with the questions, it makes me more patient. It provides intellectual perseverance. It indicates some degree of intellectual courage, some degree of intellectual humility and, and that I would continue to struggle but I might not ever get to satisfactory answers or I might arrive at unsatisfactory answers and think that they're the right ones. But could you also say that part of what makes life meaningful is struggling with those questions? If you believe that the universe is essentially deterministic and we have little to no ability to shape our own world in the physical or deeply meaningful sense that I'm stuck with this kind of, um, I can change my attitudes, I can react, um, I can change the, the way that I deal with the inevitable, that kind of stuff. If, if, that's, if that's where we're at, then sure. Mm. But if the world... I don't think that's where I'm at. I'm not there. Well, that's the problem is that for all of us, I think, unless we have a special way of looking at the world, 
I think all of us have the impression that free will is quite in play, and so I would have more options. To pursue a meaningful life because I can make choices. Because I can make change. It's not that I can just make choices. Like, I can make choices and put them into practice. I can actually conceive of a thing and then make Make it it real. But if... If, if the world's deterministic, my conceiving of things and trying to make them real is is not legitimate because it's always couched in the larger set of dominoes, right, which I'm going to intersect with even if I don't know that I am, right? That's the problem is that if, if there really is determinism, well, I am, I am so, out of luck. So it sounds like Spinoza kind of wants both. Like he wants to say we live in a deterministic world, but within that frame, you can think your way to higher levels of being. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. That's what the rationalists would yeah, say. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's what they yeah, would say. Yeah, well, I mean, not all of them have the same point of view because not all of them believe in a deterministic universe per se. All of them will believe that there's some order out there that can be right. discovered, but not necessarily a, a deterministic one. So I think that, um, yeah, to the extent that I do have a lot of freedom, I think discovering the truths of the universe would be perhaps more valuable. But if all I discover is that I'm severely limited and that the only thing I can really, you know, sort of consistently adjust is my attitude. Is the thing in your head. Is this stuff in your head? I'm not yeah. sure that that provides the meaning that so many of... That's well, not enough. I'm not delighted That's by enough. it. I'm not yeah. delighted by it. So... Okay, so Spinoza is an interesting guy. I think this stuff is interesting, especially when you put it in the frame of the 17th century and the fact that he, you know, I'm kind of interested in like what sparked his like what what sparked his thinking along this path. Like what happened mm. to him? I'm just curious about no, that. I couldn't tell you. Well, and how did he die? Do we know? Oh, did yeah. you look it up? Yeah, well, one of the things Spinoza, yeah, well I I he did, I did. He, he did, did die. He did die. He um <laughs> His job, if you will, like he had a day job yeah. that he was also really he yeah, had a day job yeah that he was also kind of known for. He was um, and he's and he taught himself. He was a lens grinder. Lens grinder. Yeah, it was a big deal in lens the, crafter. Yeah, a lens crafter. <laughs> he was. A, it was a big deal in the 18th century and 17th century um, to do this work because of the emergence of telescopes and eyeglasses, right? And then, of course, as we get into the 18th century, then we get the bifocal, right? Right. I mean, just there were a lot of people grinding glass in an amateur way to improve the optics. And he was... He wrote a lot. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he wrote about optics as well. He did. um, As a scientific thing. But anyway, he was a lens grinder, and apparently he got... Um, we don't know for sure, but the the historians think that he got glass in his lungs, and he died from a lung infection. Um, and so they they but based upon whatever oh. accounts they have, they think that that was the, really? the source. All yeah. right. Well, there's some kind of metaphor here between lens grinding and and seeing the world in a new way. I think there is. I wonder if some... he just worked his metaphor totally into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like it's like is. it's like somebody's somebody's a plumber and they come up with a with a metaphor for life that's systemic and all encompassing. But it's like pipes. And you go, wow, where do they ever where do they ever come up with that? 
gravity. <laughs> he's grinding. Flowing. He's grinding lenses, and he's starting to, you know, get into the weeds on. Yeah, so he's smoking a little things. weed, and he's grinding the lenses, and no, he's no, thinking, no, no. ah, clarity. <laughs> ah, yeah, I can see everything now. Oh my gosh! And, well, and, and he coughs, and he thinks it's the weed, but it's the glass in his lungs. <laughs> God, what a bummer, dude. Wow. Wow. Okay, so before we go, those people who are listening to this who have not turned off this the show and And are actually stay yes, all two of you. Thank you, whoever you are. If they haven't turned off the show and they're think thinking, Wow, I wanna read something interesting to get into my philosophies, just as one reading you could give them. If they just said I'm not sure this philosophy stuff is for me, but I want to try it out. What What would you recommend? Well, Just one I mean, thing to start with. Uh, not too boring. Cannot uh, be too boring. God, there's so much boring stuff. I know. That's the problem. Well, I mean, it just depends on how long you want to read. I mean, I okay. really think, again, it's philosophy can be very easily approached if you get one of these books that has like these one page readings like you can just find them yeah, anywhere like little excerpts yeah yeah, yeah. and then you can really just get a small piece of like it like a sample and then you can say oh i want to pursue this or i want to pursue that Right, and you could say, "Look at all these dead white men trying to tell me how to think." Yeah, but there are also dead white women and no. there are some dead other people. No, there are some. Yeah, I know there's some. Right. But. Yeah, but I'm just saying there there are a lot of different folks out there that could be read. I mean, well, well, you're not going to recommend one thing. Come on, one thing out there on the interwebs. One thing could out find. there on the interwebs. I mean, for people to, I, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll what? do this for people to approach philosophical reading. Uh-huh. I would encourage them to grab onto any dialogue by Plato. Oh. I think they're quite easy. Something like Euthyphro is quite easy. Euthyphro? How do you spell that? E-U-T-H-P-H... No, E-U-T-H-Y-P-H-R-O is how you spell Euthyphro. Did you say Plato or Socrates? You said Socrates, right? No, Plato. Socrates is in it, but Plato wrote it. Okay. And Euthyphro is the name of a guy. Okay. And there, you know, and if you like that, you could read other Socratic dialogues. The Apology is quite approachable. The Symposium is quite approachable. Mm, yeah. Um, start with start with the G O or no, I'm saying start with the O G Socrates. The O G Socrates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that that's a pretty good one because he does have a narrative structure. It's pretty easy to read. If you like really contemporary stuff, I don't know. It just depends on your bent. If you like mathematical type stuff, you uh. might want to start with somebody like A.J. Ayer or Willard mm. Quine. Mm. Um, what if you don't? Oh, well, and Bertrand Russell would be okay in that area too. Um, if you didn't really like a lot of math, you might start with some applied ethics. You might go into any number of, of contemporary ethicists. Peter Singer um, is a nice play to, place to start. Not a lot of math in there. Um, you know, okay. you could certainly talk about social and political philosophy. There are plenty of folks in that vein. John Rawls is a nice one to start with there if you want to talk about those sorts of okay. issues. Of course, there are plenty of folks of color and women associated mm. with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I love Michel Foucault, which is neither a woman nor a person of color, um, but a dead oh, French guy. Foucault, um, yeah. Super powerful mm, stuff, read I think. A lot of, read a lot of that stuff from grad school. Okay, mm-hmm. so another That's quick right question, stuff. another quick question. Yeah. You're an ethicist. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I have an ethical dilemma, yeah. can I call you and say, hey, Brian, I need help thinking through this ethically? You Would need you to, help you, me? You call me and you say, 
I've got this thing by the horns and I'm afraid to let go. Can right. you help me disentangle myself so I don't get gore? Would you actually do that? If like someone if I had, called me with yeah. a potential ethical goring, yeah. I would totally would you? take it seriously. Would you? Yeah. And you wouldn't just lead them to what you thought they should do. You would actually lead them through the process of thinking about what they should do. Right? I would I would do that. I think that that's the best way to do it. Hey. If anybody else needs this stuff, just yeah. Find a friend, give it a shot, because it's for everyone. Even you. We think. We think. Yeah.